Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Thank you, folks. Appreciate you being with us as we get into our Thursday edition of Kelly and Company. I'm here. Rum Yamuthan is over there. Rum, how's today? Hey, today's doing, uh, feeling pretty good. How are you? Um, It's good. It's good. Uh, You know, just on track. As we've talked about, by the time we get to Thursday, we seem to be on track with everything we, we've mm-hmm. caught up on and get ourselves together and feeling good. Meetings that have uh, stolen time away from you. You've been able to try to get a, a handle on those so you feel a lot better. Yeah, that's true. And plus, it's uh, one day closer to Friday. Yeah, did you mention that? No, I didn't. But but I <clears throat> I, I trusted that you would you would get right in on that. Right. Uh, when you were in the office yesterday, did you ever go get one of those shirts? No. Did you get an armful? No. Did I get an armful? Yeah, to hand out. There's lots of souls that would say, "Well, I know it's your old logo and that, but I'll take it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a no, shirt for sure. Yeah, I, it was large. I told you how I have a huge, large T-shirt collection already. Yeah, but you have friends that you large can pawn those off. I mean, <laughs> be generous and donate them too. Start my side gig of selling AMI T-shirts. Oh, no, I didn't Only say that. Oh, uh, HR, I never Kelly, said anything about come that. On. Not one bit. So, folks, yesterday <laughs> in the office, there was some, some shirts laying around. We got an email about it. So I've been poking at Rumya here that she should have just grabbed an armful and been generous to the people around the complex. And, hey... You know, you become a star, then people like, oh, it's great. Not to mention you advertise with the old logo, as we were informed by Greg David, not the uh, the brand new one. Folks, let's uh, take yeah. a, a look and see what we've got on the program today for you. Fern Lullum will be along shortly, and she's going to highlight the Commonwealth Games held in Birmingham, UK. Uh, this was at the end of July uh, 2022, of course, this year, but it, it, it went a good time and uh, always a lot of fun. Looking forward to catching up with community reporter Mathieu Rochette, and he's highlighting a judo program uh, that's starting out in Montreal. Nice to have him back on the show. Last time he was a little under the weather, so we've got him back in the fold today. We flip through some quirky stories from around the globe with Jeff Ryman in a little while. Uh, We call that What in the World? We'll do that in hour two right here on Kelly and Company. Well, I'm going to bring out our climate change subject. Stop that, folks. we got to keep talking about it. It's got to stay relevant. I know some of you are not again. But uh, take a listen to this one, a couple of things we've got here. It's affecting the quality and smell of the wine coming from France as the country battles its driest, and not because of lack of wine, uh, and hottest season on record. This meteorologist is outside Bordeaux with the latest. This year, so far, they've been able to keep the grape safe, but even if you keep the grape from burning and the actual vineyard from burning, you can have something called smoke taint. It changes so much. Um, drought and heat already changed the amount of grape you get, the production of it. It can actually even increase the alcohol content up to 14% in this region. Now, that's an interesting side that I didn't realize, Rum, about the alcohol. Uh, again, not being an expert, having no idea, you always think of, oh, sometimes there's beverages that we make smoky and, you know, intend to do so as opposed to as a result of a fire. And we heard this with the BC fires and, and mm-hmm. ones that have subsequently happened in California over, over the decades um, where this taint that she references happens. But, of course, over there, 
this is totally unusual weather, totally not an experience, and it's not an experience BC or California want to have. Um, I I don't know. I haven't. I've heard about the taint. I've wondered. I wonder what that that tastes like, and I wonder what composes a. Okay, it's tainted, so the alcohol strength is stronger. Not what we want, or just the taste. And I don't know if it's amount of exposure. And all of that d- does come down to taste anyway, right? Like the the more or less alcohol, yes. um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I've been on a my a couple of uh, wine tours in the Niagara region, and like when you walk through these vineyards with the professionals, with the people who do this stuff all the time. They they talk about how every little thing counts. You know, when you start the season, um, how much the grapes grow, what soil, how tall, uh, what equipment, the wind, like the direction of the wind uh, and the windmills they have to put up, like, you know, all these different things. So I cannot imagine... Um, how stressful it must be for people who've done this for so long, who know what they're doing and have to deal with these uh, unforeseen circumstances, with the changes of climate, with the the wildfires, the smoke, the the change in everything. And then not only how it affects things right now and this season of wine, but how it's going to affect things moving forward, right? Because you don't know what sits in to the, the soil and everything else. So uh, it does make me very you know, curious to learn more about that. Cause like you said, we have no clue, like we don't know what goes into this stuff and then also how it's going to affect um, the industry on what people will buy. Well, and you, if an alcohol is, is stronger than what's supposed to be, you can't just go manufacture. It's a bad batch folks. We'll just discount it. Yeah, you don't dude, want how many bad discount? batches. Can you oh, forgive? Yeah, Oof. exactly. Not to mention legalities, like the law is going to say, yeah, but you're not sanctioned to sell it at, at that level. That's, that's just not what you're supposed to be doing. And there's got to be so much concern of if we can't move this, what else do we do with it? How far does it set us back? We are an industry, a known, um, you know, vineyard. How yeah. how do we survive? So it's got to be one of those scariest things that they, they have to deal with. And France, folks, just so you know, is experiencing its fourth heat wave, heat wave since uh, since June. Here, let's stick with now a food, since we're on a beverage to go with the food. A pizza giant came to Italy to dominate, but seven years later, Domino's is done. It smells like factory, like processed food. That was one Italian YouTube foodie sharing his take on Domino's pizza shortly after the American chain opened shop, hoping to reach 800 of them in the birthplace of pizza. But after a final delivery, Domino's is dead in Italy. It tastes like a dead person. The end of the fast food chain here came as no surprise to Italians who take their authentic pizza very seriously. Domino's couldn't keep up as smaller pizzerias quickly switched to home delivery during COVID. It slid into millions of dollars of debt before filing for bankruptcy. Megan Williams, ABC News, Rome. Dad, I, I think we get the point, right? <laughs> He he, kind of you know punched it through with that. Um, that was mean, very it, mean. Isn't it interesting? Because here we're so used to Domino's. Whether we and we'll be the first to say whether yeah. we like or don't like a pizza. But then you hear uh, it didn't make like it in when this the country. Italians shape what? It? Oh no! How dare it's you snub brutal. our Domino's? Even if you don't like it, it's like really isn't that great pizza, uh, folks? We're talking Italy. I know, and I'm actually so curious now to go try Domino's because I haven't had Domino's in a while. To go try it and be like, wait, is it actually good pizza? Well, I, and again, I I haven't been to Italy to compare pizzas over there to say, okay, what is why would yeah. it not make it here? And and again, there's lots of reasoning, lots of thought, uh, even outside of the quality 
of the pizza, but it just kills me how we could sit there, slam the heck out of a brand. It tastes like cardboard. It's terrible. It's yep, this yep. and that. What do you mean? What Those Italians don't know their pizza. That's one of our brands. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the worst part is? Why would they wait, would you say, seven years? Seven years. And bankruptcy to pull out? Like, that sounds like Italians have been hating Domino's, Italians in Almost Italy. Almost from the beginning. For the beginning. So why were you still there? <laughs> yeah, you, you keep hanging in. And I guess with some of the companies, they've got the money. Like, could you imagine McDonald's? They could sit there mm-hmm. forever and just say, well, we'll just wait it out. Sooner or later, these people are going to like it. Yeah, right. And if they don't, tough. That's cocky, man. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to step aside for a moment. And coming up next, Michael Fair dips into a series of mysteries by BBC Radio. And this... This is called Recall Man. Well, I recall that if we stand by for about two minutes, he'll be with us. Thanks for being with us, folks. It's Kelly and Company, Rummy and Luthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the program. We'll get to Rummy in just a moment to bring in our next guest. But I guess to kick the show off, our first guest today, I want to mention to you, hey, give us a call, 1-866-509-4545. If you have some questions, a comment about the show, anything you'd like to share, if that's something you're comfortable to do, you can call us, 1-866-509-4545. Mention it's for Kelly and Company, and if you don't mind, please tell us if it's okay to play your message on the air, and if we can, we shall. Also, feedback at AMI.ca if you just want to email in a question about uh, Accessible Media Inc., AMI-TV, AMI-Tele, or all of us over here at AMI-Audio. Feedback at AMI.ca. And, of course, if you'd like, follow along on Twitter, at AMI-Audio. There you can ask your questions. Somebody will get back to you. You can also see what's coming up segment to segment on our live shows. That's at AMI-Audio on Twitter. As mentioned, that lady over there, Ramya Muthan. I'm Kelly McDonald. And we're getting into more audio entertainment. This is like a streak through our summer, so let's bring on Michael Fair. Hi, I'm Mike Fair. iPhones, iPods, and iPads are everywhere, and they're doing great things for the blind. We explore all that, plus audio entertainment, dramas, podcasts, internet radio, and games. We share it all on Kelly and Company. There are more new dramas scheduled to appear this month, uh, but while we wait, Michael has dipped into his collection to tell us about a series of mysteries called Recall Man, and we're curious about what drew you to start off with, Mike, uh, to this one from BBC Radio. Yeah, well, you know, this is basically small town England, uh, and uh, I usually go for city-based stuff, you know, London, uh, that sort of uh, more generic, more uh, sort of common fare, I guess, with mysteries. But this time I just thought, you know what, that this looks interesting. It's small town. It's all about memory because the, the whole premise is around a psychologist who is an, an expert in recovering memories of people that uh, for one reason or another don't want to remember or can't remember certain things and what they experienced. So uh, I thought, yeah, that, that could be kind of neat. And mm. uh, it's sort of, it's from the early 2000s i guess the first one was like 2000 2001 and it, it went ran to uh 2005 i believe the last episode was uh, was aired so it had a, a fair uh, fair long stretch on on bbc yeah 
Uh, you said that, of course, he, he is working to help people recover these these memories. Um, you know, give us a little more idea of the premise of the show as it unfolds. Yeah. So basically, we have Joe Aston, who is uh, a detective. He's uh, he's a, a forensic psychologist, and he's moved away uh, from his small town, Middlesbrough, uh, in order to uh, sort of you know, expand his horizons and utilize his his gifts. He's uh, very smart, and he goes to university, gets his degree, becomes a psychologist, and gets into this forensic psychology, uh, and uh, is is kind of working on uh, at, the, at his academics. Basically, he's he's going to teach students as well, uh, but he's uh, moves back home to this small town uh, to work with their police force. And uh, basically, see if his es- expertise of recovering memories is helpful to the police in the area to solve crimes. So that's the basic premise. He's there for like a six-month trial, and he's living. He's batching it. Uh, his wife. We never meet his wife. He is married, uh, but we never encounter her. So he is on his own in this small town, kind of settling in and uh, dealing with all manner of uh, that's of course small town prejudices and. You know, that sort of thing and skepticism about what he does. Right. Mm -hmm. Can we uh, talk more about these police officers working with Dr. Aston? Yeah, there are there are a few. Uh, We have the detective inspector is uh, a higher rank uh, and is Karen Dennis. It starts off Karen Dennis and then switches to Reynolds. Uh, I don't know why they did that, but that's what <laughs> what happened. Um, she is in charge, and uh, basically she's under a lot of pressure uh, and uh, tries to do a good job, wants to be supportive, kind of hopes that uh, the, the expertise of this doctor can really help them nail cases that are just baffling them, especially when they don't have a lot of, to go on. And uh, But she's under a lot of pressure, and you can just feel that right throughout. Um, so D.C. Uh, Patton is a friendly, one of the constables, detective constables, uh, which is lower rank than inspector. And uh, he, uh, he basically is, is more friendly uh, towards uh, the doctor and really just like seems to warm to him and wants to get on, on his good side. And, and there's always that, you know, is, is this genuine? Is this, uh, you know, for business, you know, business purposes, right? Like, like kind of, you know, wh- what's his motive in this as well? So you have all that kind of happening, uh, and there are a couple of other the, the constables, the uh, detective constables, uh, who are part of the detachment who you see off and on, and they're a little less supportive. They're they're kind yeah. of worried that he'll screw up a case or do something that invalidates all this the effort they put into gathering the evidence, right? So it's uh, you know it's, he's contending with that as well. Their view of of, of him it sounds like. They act like he's some kind of charlatan doing this or, you know, how yeah. far he's got pushing this this agenda or what is his uh, agenda. So who does Dr. Aston apply his actual skills to, you know, attempting to recover these memories or help recover them? Yeah, th- there's a bunch. Uh, there's seven cases in total. And uh, the, the first one is, is the scientist who works in a lab, which is kept very, very clean, right? So, of course, denying forensics their usual bag of tricks because there's nothing for them to work with and gather, right? So they're really desperate in this case. And uh, the scientist doesn't remember what's happened, but she's the only person who could sort of – it looks like she is the killer of her boss. And there is kind of enmity there a little bit. There's a bit of a grudge 
So it looks like is, but did she actually intend to commit murder? What's happened here, right? And she can't remember, and she's d- kind of doubtful of psychology, right? Doubtful that this doctor is going to help her. Uh, she's in pain because uh, of the bruising she uh, in, during the encounter in this lab. So there's that. Uh, there's a diver uh, in the next one that is is kind of another really neat one because, of course, diving, you get mental effects over time because of the decompression uh, as you uh, rise to the surface, right. nitrogen bubbles, and that affects memory. And he thought he saw someone pushed over a bridge and didn't report it sort of right away. It's been like a, a number of years, three, four years and now he's kind of said, you know, open this can of worms. And they're like, okay, well, how much can we trust about what he saw? Can we recover more so he could be more exact? And that was that was a neat one. Uh, a taxi driver uh, who witnessed a gangland murder uh, and uh, basically, of course, is traumatized by that and is repressing the memory. But they need the forensic the cops need that to basically build their case. Right. So. Yeah. They need, again, his expertise to try and recover this memory. And the last uh, final case was, and it kind of stood out too, because it was an old town secret, uh, you know, this robbery that took place 55 years ago. And basically this old man kind of is haunted by this all his life, and he wants to sort of talk about it. And his friend is a little kind of nervous about, you know, opening this can of worms. No one really wants to sort of put in the effort to get into this but the doctor kind of pushes a bit and it kind of opens this and you really get that sense of the secrets the small town feel the let's not go here kind of vibe uh so well, there must be a lot of that resistance is this really a practice is this really for real not to mention if it is how much trouble are you causing and how admissible in court is it like there's so many di- or what are you oh, going to yeah. do to the person and what else is going to be unlocked Yep, and then you've got a bunch of trauma that then, how do you help that? Uh, yeah, you've got your evidence, but what what results, what trouble have you stirred up needlessly kind of thing? And mm-hmm. and is this, oh, it's just a trustworthy science, right? There's always that question of, of is this genuine science or is this just, just you know, total bunk, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. it, it hovers over the whole series. <laughs> Mike, are these cases suitable for younger listeners? I would say they're they're really written for adults. Uh, teens, I can see getting things out of them. There is, you know, limited, uh, you know, cursing that sort of thing. There's not really a, a, any violence uh, per se, uh, you know. Uh, uh, so I mean, it's, it's calm in that sense. You have an academic's kind of view of these cases, right? So it's not like you're chasing in the middle of gunfights and chases and such. Um, but it's. You know, they're the mature subject matter. It's I think little kids wouldn't get much out of it, but the teens mm-hmm. certainly could follow it. So what's the being in the small town bring to the table with this? Well, you've you've got the, the closed minded suspicion, right? I mean, you've got the whole is is he one of us or not? He's working with the police, so of course that increases the whole how much do we want him around kind of factor, right, as he's trying to move in to the town. There's the Northern English accents, which I, um, that caused me some trouble. I had to rewind and and hear things again, because uh, I'm not as familiar with those accents. They're a little less common uh, in, in how, in depictions of, you know, mysteries and things like that. Usually get the, you know, the London, the, you know, the more, uh, I guess, commonly portrayed 
accents, uh, but th- this is a little little less uh, uh, common. And I I really had to go back and hear bits of dialogue of, sometimes a, a few times before I fully followed what was said in in patches. So there's that. If, if you uh, English is a second language or anything like that, if you have some trouble with accents, you might want to take that into consideration. Um, and the other thing is just the whole small town atmosphere. Everyone knows everyone else. Uh, there's, there's ulterior motives. There's, you know, you scratch your back, I'll scratch mine kind of stuff. And, you know, and that goes through all the, the straight, the connections of relationships. So it kind of, it's a different field in the big city cases. Mm-hmm. And that was something you pointed out right at the beginning anyways. Mike, how about the pacing? Did you enjoy the pacing of it? It was, it's a police procedural. So it's, it's not action. It's, it's kind of, things move along. It's, it never drags. Uh, but don't expect gunfights and car chases. This is an academic kind of who, how, how does this work? What is, what is the memory? Uh, how can we use this to uh, support the evidence we're gathering kind of thing? Okay. Now about sound uh, and, and music, that kind of thing, I'm going to assume not as much because you say that the pace is a bit slower. Yeah, there's, there's really not a lot of music. There's, sound is used to really depict, especially during memories, you kind of get the sense of what people are yes. hearing. So that's, I thought that was quite well done. And, of course, the environments are, are well realized, I thought. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's casual TV versus cinematic, right? So you've got that, that kind of casual level rather than a, a movie enveloping you, right? So there's, there's that kind of thing. Really quickly, Mike, final thoughts. Was it worth the hearing? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, you know, it was it was a neat series of cases. I learned a bit about memory. Uh, really good acting in this. You got, uh, of course, as the BBC tends to do, they they pick good actors, and uh, you know, people uh, I think would uh, would quite uh, like it as long as as the accents didn't sort of throw up too much of a roadblock uh, in this case. So just be aware of that. But otherwise, I, I think you're in for a treat. Okay, that sounds awesome. I mean, uh, we know that BBC puts out really great content, like you said, and we have still more audio entertainment coming up through August, yeah? Absolutely, yep. We've got some heavy stuff coming soon, I think. Okay, perfect. Well, we're looking forward to it, Mike. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up with you next week. All righty, we'll catch you then. You can find The Recall Man as well as many other offerings from the BBC on Audible because they've picked up a bunch of it. We're going to take a quick break, folks, and when we return, Fern Lullum highlights the Commonwealth Games highla, excuse me, that were just held, just finished up in Birmingham, UK. So stick around. We'll get into the details and see what she's got for us in just a moment on Kelly and Company. Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. It's Kelly and Company, Rumi Amuth and Kelly McDonald, host of the show. And we always appreciate you being with us whenever you have time, wherever you're listening in around the world. Always wonderful to have you on board. And Rum, I mean, we get out there. The show gets around. People uh, listen in from all around the world, and we always love uh, hearing from them. 
As a matter of fact, one of our contributors is out in the UK, and we always enjoy our conversations when she joins us, brings some interesting topics, and I think this one kind of includes the whole, well, the Commonwealth. I'll say that. Let's bring on Fern Lullum. What's on your mind? I'm Fan Lullum from the UK, and whether serious, silly, or somewhere in between, I've got you covered. Let's face it, the most effective therapy is a chat with your bestie. So between the 28th of July and the 8th of August, the Commonwealth Games, Fern, were held, and uh, this is something else, and a lot of talk. Yes, indeed, Kelly, a lot of talk. This has been a major event here in the UK with lots of media coverage. And although I'm not a massive sports fan, I'm not really a sports fan at all. I wanted, that's more you, Kelly. I wanted to talk about the event today because I do think that it has sent out some important messages about inclusion, which I am a big fan of. You bet. And, you know, it's one of those conversations that, Things have changed in the years with the Commonwealth Games. And one of the things that I really think is wonderful when you talk about inclusion uh, is these games. So tell us a little bit more as we love to hear about inclusion on the show. Yeah, well, unlike many other major sporting events like the Olympics, the Power Sport program is fully integrated with the rest of the game. So that means that the power athletes are part of the same team as the rest of the athletes and any medals that they win count towards their nation's total. Now, as you can imagine, I really like this because I think it just helps to normalize disability. We're all in it together. Yeah. Uh, Of course, that's how it should be for all programming anywhere, sports and otherwise. But is this the first time you've seen this kind of integration at the Commonwealth Games? No, the first time that the events for disabled athletes were included was in 1994. um, And they they were the games in Canada, funnily enough, close to home for you. So absolutely. (laughs) However, back then they were on the program as an exhibition sport. So it wasn't until the the 2002 games in Manchester, UK, that the para-athletes were fully integrated into their national team. So a bit of Canada and a bit of UK moving that needle along. All right. Fedora's off. Definitely uh, to both to both locations. As we see these athletes get involved, I have to say we're seeing this inclusion growing at the Commonwealth Games uh, as, as things look like right now. Yeah, the games that we've just held in Birmingham included more para sport than ever before. And I think it's also important to say that slightly more medals were offered also to women than to men, which also is another encouraging sign of inclusion, of course. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Do you see women's sport getting a higher profile in the UK? 100%. It absolutely is at the moment. So the England women's soccer team have just become the European champions. And this has given women's sport nice. over here a massive boost. Very exciting for young girls going into sport these days. And mm-hmm. um, there are signs that women are taking up sport and that they might have where they might have felt excluded from even 30 years ago. They now feel that they can give it a go. Well, there's going to be a lot of women around the world. And in the UK, of course, they're being such a leader in this and hearing that kind of great stuff. So lots of positive developments on that front. But do you think the Olympic Games will follow this example put out by the Commonwealth Games of, of integration? Well, I'm not aware of any plans for that to happen at the moment. Okay, and why do you think that might be? Well... 
I think there could be lots of reasons, but perhaps one of the biggest one is that integrating para events will um, undoubtedly with the existing program means that not everything can be fitted in just literally time wise. It just it just won't all work. Um, mm-hmm. So that doesn't arise if the Olympics and Paralympics are kept as separate events. Everyone can still compete, although they will be separate events, as it were. Yeah. And I think we'll start seeing that while well, hearing the discussion of is it better to each have them on their own stage? Because how many people in even the para world even knew para sports were included in these Commonwealth Games unless you were participating, knew somebody that was in there? Did it get the same profile, the same buzz that you get with the Paralympics on the heels of, of uh, uh, you know, the Olympics themselves? So mm-hmm. I guess opinions differ on the best way forward, Fern. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely opinions on both sides. And I've certainly heard some people say that things should stay as they are because, you know, the Paralympics provide such a great platform to showcase disabled talent. And they might think integration would actually dim that spotlight on disability because there isn't something that's fully shining a light just on disability. And I'm curious about your opinion uh, and feeling on that, because I feel like I disagree a little bit just based on what integration and inclusion means to me. Uh, But how about you? Yeah, I think we're on the same page there, Ramya. I think it is a difficult question. But for me, normalizing disability is the ultimate goal. And I think that's best done by integration, as exactly as you say. Um, However, I do admit that I might feel differently if I was a para-athlete whose event had to be dropped from the games because it couldn't be fitted into the program. You know, that would be nothing, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. And because to me, like very much so, it should be integrated. Do I like the way the the Paralympics are are right now? Yeah. Do I think something like the Commonwealth could be that leader in, in integration and others should be? Yeah, if you can work it so nothing nothing is dropped because we definitely shouldn't have to worry. It should be part of even the Olympics, if they're a little longer and whatever, because you're using up the same time. It's that mindset. And, of course, at times we aren't going to know. You know, this year I missed out on really realizing that that was included. And how many years, Fern? It's been years that it's been included. So bad on me for not knowing, but taking more notice because the Paralympics have more of a, a stage right now. And, and But we always say the same thing. It would be nice if they were included. So in mm. uh, talking of para-athletes, who have been some of the standout uh, competitors in the Commonwealth Games? Well, I think Scotland's Rosemary Lenton definitely deserves a mention. She won a gold medal at the tender age, wait for it, 72. Yes. (laughs) All right. Yes. What was the event? So there's still hope for you, Kelly. You can still do it. Um, (laughs) Oh, at least until until this birth, next birthday. Do you hear the dramatic um, pause? I did. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to get that in. Um, it was the women's pairs of para bowls. Rosemary and her partner, Pauline Wilson, were the proud winners. Nice. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> Kelly's <laughs> still recovering from my, <laughs> from my slight there. <laughs> Quite a slight, right? All right. Um, so what, that event, what, what, is the, what is it, the para bowls? Well, it is, you know, so it's it's bowls, um, as in, you know, you're playing bowls, um, but it's you're doing it with a a partner, with a pair. So, um, so yes, so she did it with her her partner, and yeah, they won the medal. Okay, cool. Well, it just goes to show that it's never too late to become a champion, though. At her age and what she's doing in the medal, that's awesome. 
Yeah, Rosemary, she is a completely remarkable person and she was formerly a competitive sailor and cyclist and has now gone on charity rides to China and Russia along wow. with her bowls experience. That's amazing. Uh, t- tell us how she really came to be involved in parables. Well, several years ago, she went into hospital for what should have been a routine operation. And unfortunately, she got an injection, which led to nine more operations. Eventually, she had to give up work and she's now in a wheelchair. um, And she took up bowls to mix with people again because she says, you can't wait for the world to come to you. You know, you can't do that. You got to get out there. Yeah, 100 percent. And this is so fun. Uh, She sounds like such a character. Yeah, I think that we can all learn a lot from her story. And first, it shows that disability can happen to anyone at any time. You know, we can't get complacent. You never know when it's going to happen. But it also shows that if it does happen, it means that you can still carry on. You know, it, it doesn't have to mean the end of your hopes and dreams and they can still be achieved you can still throw that bowl down and hit the the, you know it's kind of like bowling right but you yeah it's great man Mm -hmm. that is really great and like you said the inspiring 72 doesn't matter you know it it, it, as we talk about the showcasing of so many women and men out there in it rosemary is a great example so how have the commonwealth games gone down with the people of birmingham has it been actually good for the city Yeah, I I definitely think it has been good. Around 1.3 million tickets have been sold. So it will be the most attended Commonwealth Games ever held in the UK. And with around one and a half billion people around the world watching on TV, Birmingham will certainly get noticed. Nice. Shout out. (laughs) I I have a friend who's um, actually have a couple people who had competed in the Commonwealth Games with uh, on the para side. And they said it is the best fan base they've had thus far in their uh, para careers. So that's really awesome. Mm. And with the work involved in hosting the games, it must be good for the local economy as well as, as you say, the attention. Yeah, it's generated thousands of new jobs with over 70,000, uh, sorry, 70 countries competing in the Games. It's a really big chance to showcase the rich culture of Birmingham. Everyone is watching. Wow. Nice. So it sounds like as if Birmingham has made its mark on the Games or vice yeah. versa. Absolutely. Indeed, they have both made a mark on each other. And part of that legacy will remain with the city. Um, And the the best part, perhaps my favourite part, is that they now have a giant mechanical bull as a result. (laughs) Is there a story behind that? (laughs) There absolutely is, of course. Well, so the bull ring is a famous area of Birmingham, which is said to stem from the Middle Ages, where bulls were held there before being sent to be slaughtered. And the association between bulls and Birmingham remains to this day. Wow. Okay. Hmm. How do we get from that to a mechanical bull? Well, a mechanical bull was made as part of the opening ceremony for the Games as a symbol of Birmingham. And it's a massive model whose head moves and steam comes out of its nostrils. I'm not going to make any co- I could make a comment there, but I'm not going to. Uh, it doesn't remind me of anyone I know. Everyone, everyone absolutely loves it. And there was an outcry when people heard that there were plans to scrap it after the Games, as there would be. Oh, Okay, I hope not. Has it been saved? It has. It's been saved. Lots of media coverage and a petition of around 10,000 signatures did the trick. And it seems like the idea of scrapping it was like a red rag to a bull. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Sounds like a lot of people had a beef about it. Yeah. Time Time to move on, I think. Bernie, thank you. Absolutely wonderful. Any final quick remarks on it? Just thinking you're milking it now, Kenny. Oh, yeah. Well, we're going to tie a a bow on it. Run for the roses. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) That's enough of the bull puns. It's too much. Jeez. I don't know. That's kind of bull to me. No, keep Uh, going. <laughs> no, basically we can't think of any more Ramya. That's yeah, it. It's, 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 t- it's almost time to hoof out of here. Um, oh, well done. Yeah, well. But Fern, when you, you get look, the medal in that. Okay, see that one finished it off. But Fern, when you look at the, the as Rum said a moment ago about people who seem to really like these games to participate or the fans to go to it, it's it's I I have to wonder. The feel must be so different than Olympics and Paralympics. There's just so mm-hmm. much to those that I have a feeling these are a more get closer to event. Mm, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it's one of those things where we are integrating. And and like we say, I think the most important thing about that is that it shows that, you know, disabled people aren't a, a, a category of their own. We are just mm-hmm. people, just like everyone else. And why shouldn't our points count towards the nation's total? You know, we're bringing it home. We're we're all part of the the team. And so I just Absolutely. think that's a really positive thing. I I just I think we need more of that, if if at all possible. Anxious. And- Go ahead, Ram. And we know that there's enough work that goes into all of it anyway, so it should count just as much. You bet. And I'm anxious to see what happens as we move on with do they run games like this together, Para, and uh, the regular games, if you want to call them regular. I'm not using the right terminology. Anyway, Fern, see you later. Yeah, have a good show, guys. Fern Lollum joins us every other Thursday for UK Disability Highlights. Coming up next, Montreal community reporter Mathieu Rochette joins us, and he's going to be telling us all about Judo Chaikin. Stand by. This Saturday, folks, on The Pulse, they're going to be starting a three-part series. And this is profiling, folks, this year's inductees into the Canadian Disability Hall of Fame. Starting with Paralympian Josh Dueck. That's The Pulse this Saturday, starting at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific, right here on AMI-audio. If you can't be here, then check the show out as a podcast. Simply subscribe. I'm Kelly McDonald of Ramya Muthan. Here we go, community report on a Thursday, which is, you know, kind of few and rare that we do it on Thursdays. Usually Mondays and Tuesdays is when our reporters join us uh, for giving us information on where they're at. So today we go to Montreal, Quebec, where we check in with Mathieu Rochette. And Matt, we missed you in July, so we're kind of catching up a little bit. Um, There's this site for the first topic that's making it accessible for you to learn about the uh, SQLA um, website, but it's a video. So tell us yeah. a little bit about this. Yes, I know. I'm sure you're gonna appreciate it, this uh, this one, uh, Romia. I know you like books and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I found out since to June to uh, June 13, uh, the SQLA, which is the division of the uh, Quebec National Library, uh, their main goal is creating new braille books, audio books and stuff. And it's, it's nothing new. They already have this accessibility website for a decade. 
But this, uh, this time they decided to update it. And one thing it is quite interesting is now on, you can download it, audiobook straight from your iPhone or other device like Victor Street and things like that, which is before it was only on your computer and you have to transfer yourself. But this time you can do it by yourself. Uh, obviously, there is still like those other option of ordering Braille books or other type of books you like. Uh, specific documentary if you have if you need to do some uh, school research or just for your personal uh, stuff um, so yes there is uh, they created a little YouTube video to explain uh, step by step the new way that the website is being created we rethink rebuild uh, it's easy honestly I went through uh, without listening the video at first and it was really easy so but just in case, if you want to know more, uh, it's there. Um, I'm guessing you're going to put the links of the YouTube video on the blog. Uh, if you guys want to go straight to the uh, website, it's easy. It's sqla.banq.qc.ca. Mm -hmm. And if you still, you know, you're old-fashioned and you still want to talk to someone, there's always uh, the option of calling uh, by phone on 514-873-4454 and free everywhere outside of Montreal or Canada, uh, 1-866-410-410, my bad, 0844. Awesome. Well, obviously, this is a really great add-on uh, to the initiate, initiative of this accessible website and platform to get books anyway. Because, you know, how many times do we talk about the, navigate, the, the navigability, uh, being able to get to know websites or platforms in general, to be honest, like streaming platforms, et cetera, et cetera. You could think there's accessible features once you get in and once you find your way to that play button but uh the other parts of it can kind of be confusing or you know a bit of a learning curve if you will so uh this is a nice nice way to tag on um for people to get to know the website and a lot of people too might be you know it might be complicated for them to use uh computers or technology to begin with so having something like this is yeah. just a, a a nice way to follow along a guide and, and, you know, Romya, we spoke, uh, I'll just do briefly that, we spoke not a few weeks ago about like how I am in trouble having my new computer set yes. with all the new jaws and cause this window stand, cause this, cause that. And it's so much headache sometimes. And it's, it, this is true though. When you have an iPhone or a Victor stream, at least now you have that up option and it's so much easier because mm -hmm. you don't need to update all stuff it's it's all there included in one little device fitting in your hand so i'm not saying yeah. don't use computer guys but i'm just saying sometime when you don't <laughs> want a headache and you just want to have fun reading a book well here's another option that is there and yeah it's cool that they they made it uh in this year actually yeah Okay, that's awesome. And thanks for the information, but we'll also put people up on the blog, ami.ca slash kellyco, yeah. uh, if you want to grab all that. Uh, Matthew, let's talk a little bit about something that I'm not sure I'm saying right. Judo Chaikin. Um, I don't know if I know exactly what that is. So what is this all about out there? Okay. Uh, you Well, Judo, uh, I mean, you, um, you never... Um, I know you Judo. Like I'm... I know okay. judo right. for sure. 
All right. So judo, jikan, I'm not sure as ah. well I pronounced it well. Okay. <laughs> this is a <laughs> judo club in Montreal. And why I found uh, fascinating is I have a, a friend. Uh, she is in low vision. Um, she's really petite woman in early in 20. And she just a few months ago told me, oh, I started doing judo. Mm-hmm. And I did judo myself two dec- 20 years ago, even more than that. Uh, and I was like really curious to know about her experience. And while we were talking about how good this discipline it is, friendly user for us who doesn't see because you're always in contact with your partner. You bet. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, uh, you know, this doing sport, showing discipline, all that. It's all good. It's a sport, legit sport. Working your cardio, develop your muscle, uh, ability, different other abilities. But what I found out is the sensei of that judo is also an ex um, Paralympic judo um, um, coach. Coach? Oh, okay. At, mm-hmm. No coach. Wow. Yeah. So he okay. trained some Paralympic judo athletes. And I was like, wow. Okay, so the guy know how to deal and how to teach with blind or lower vision. And she says like, yes. And since there, they are now five or in that uh, dojo. And they're not even the same group. They're different schedule and stuff and look like the other trainer are also really involved of how uh, teaching with someone who doesn't see. So uh, that's why I'm talking about them. Cause I think I know when you're a kid, um, it's, it's nice to do judo. Uh, there is things that I learned in there. Just, you know, sometimes we lose balance or we trip on the sidewalk and stuff. How many times has happened? And because I know how to fell down, I did not hurt myself. And that I learned in, during practicing judo. Right. So if there is parents right now, uh, anyone actually, there is really nice things that you can learn with that discipline. So, um, I, I highly recommend it. If you are in Montreal, you want to say place, a good place where to begin, uh, your dojo discipline. Well, you can go at that place. It's on Bubble street and you just need to go at judo Jikan. So it's spelled G J I. Uh, my bad. I, re- I, I restarted that. So, J U D O J I T A N dot C A. There's also uh, all information are there. The, the, the history, phone number, different schedule, rate. Uh, if you want to contact right away without going to the website, you can call 438 491 Okay. okay. Of course, we'll put it up on the blog, mi.ca slash Kelly Co. Uh, you know, it's very interesting when you talk judo because, again, we, we talk about the throws. We talk about um, point, like when, when you watch Paralympians, and it's so mm-hmm. what you said about the contact, but when you watch it in the Paralympics, it is so tremendous, so such a disciplined sport. And, again, a lot of the sports are when it comes to this, the, the, the defensiveness of it or, or the, the executing your moves and stuff like that. It mm-hmm. is really a wonder, not to mention getting into to good shape, the, the workouts, the 
things like you talk about balance or learning how to fall. I know myself from wrestling and, uh, you know, some of the work that I've done in, in karate and things like that when I was younger and doing that. It, it really, it, it, yeah, well, yeah, I used to wrestle and it was really a way to learn how to take those falls. And again, you know, you don't want to, as, as a parent, as you said, you don't want to shelter your kids. You want them running around. You want them having fun just like everybody yeah. else, despite if they're, if they're a low vision or a blind child or have a disability. And a lot of that is that, that falling down, that, that learning how to get it. If you hurt yourself, you'll know and you'll, you, you tend to it. But it's that not being so fearful to live, learning how to, to do the role, the tuck, pull your head, or whatever it might be when you're having yeah. that fall. And those throws help you a lot, don't they? And, and you see, it's, it's remind me something. Last summer, for some reason, when I was at work, there was water on the, on the steps. Yep. And unfortunately for me, it was the second one from the top. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and you and were going my, down, right? Both, my both feet was not touching the stairs anymore. So I was going to a nice trip all over the downstairs. Yeah. And I got plates in my hand and stuff. And just oh, my gosh. reflex with my left hand, I was able to tap on the steps. Same way when you, when you go on floor in judo. You yep. tap the mat, the mattress, and it stopped right away. I hurt myself, but at least I did not have like a broken legs or, mm-hmm. you know, and or this your is, back or you know from hitting exactly. each step. Right, you were able to do that exactly. stop, and I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, so it's it's you never know, but this is this is some ability that you can learn doing that discipline. So who knows when it's going to be helpful in the future. Well, and I think yeah. we're talking different ways like that, that it is helpful as opposed to feeling like, oh, my goodness, why is someone, why am I wanting my child in this kind of, you know, sport? Well, there, yeah. there's so many pluses and it's the, the, the discipline and the way you use it and what you're taught about when to use it and how. Uh, Matthew, thank you. We're Absolutely. out of time. Oh, already? <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. Peace out, Matt. Thank oh. you so much for uh, joining us and we'll catch up, I think, later in the month, actually. Talk to you soon. Yeah, about two weeks. Take care, guys. Awesome. Mathieu Rochette from Montreal joining us, our community reporter from there. And you can go to ami.ca slash Co for his entire report. And we've got another hour of Kelly and Company ahead for you, folks. We're going to flip through some quirky stories from around the globe with Jeff Ryman on What in the World. Our guest on the roundtable today is AMI-TV reporter from Toronto, Alex Smythe. But up next, it's the Thursday edition of The Buzz with Bill Shackleton. We'll talk to you in a moment. Because as a blind child, I was always told, oh, you have to be careful, don't worry about you're going to hit this. To be able to do judo with sighted people, to be able to hold my own with them and be allowed to throw them and be allowed to choke them and for them to see that I'm not so fragile, they can choke me too, they can throw me too, and I'm not going to break. That was very satisfying, just being allowed to participate in something rough. Kelly and Company, sharing your stories. All right, that's it. Settle on back, folks. We're here for a second hour of the program. Thank you for being with us. Wherever you're listening in around the world, maybe from your computer, maybe you're sitting there at ami.ca and listening in right from there to the show as we're live streamed from there. 
It might be at uh, TuneIn Radio or OO Tunes as well, taking in the program. Whatever way, folks, really, really appreciate you being on board with us. My co-host in Toronto at the home studio, Ramya Mukin. I'm Kelly McDonald at the home studio in London, Ontario, and over there hanging out at his place, ready to visit with us. Uh, for the second time this week, it's Bill Shackleton. We call the segment The Buzz. Billy, welcome back. Yes, we're um, day number two. Yeah, All set, huh? Hmm. From vacation. Yeah, all, yeah, all set. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's right, because Billy, was, when he's away, you know, we like, oh, Oh, yeah, it's a different kind of buzz. Mags fills in for you. But you've got things already in hand and all set to go. Uh, yes, we do. And this is, first one is from Mecca to the Vatican, um, exploring secular sites with VR. This is from Associated Press. It basically is is another way how the metaverse affects us. And it's it's really cool that, if you're a religious pilgrim or if you're religious at all, you can visit some of these holy sites without leaving your house. Maybe you have um, uh, disabilities and you can't travel. Uh, you know, maybe you uh, you don't have the money. And, and th- there's a lot of people that want to go to these sites. But I'm going to tell you a couple of them. You can visit Kirk's are clerics leaving or entering the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Um, you can uh, tuck a prayer note into the Western Wall, or you can watch thousands of worshippers during Ramadan at the Al-Esk Mosque. And the the hope of, the, of this project is that people will perhaps get Get, get you know more religious or maybe gain religion, gain a better understanding of 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 these sites because a lot of people don't understand and of course unless you've been there, you don't really as far as I I'm concerned you have to have been there to really grasp their significance and this is just one way an, another positive way mm. that that you can get you can get dialed into these things. A lot of That's it's about right? understanding, isn't it? Yeah. If you yeah. have a chance to observe, you you hopefully get a chance to understand a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, obviously, the majority of us would look at something like this, this content, and say, oh, yeah, for tourism, right? Or because we've had a lot of these mm-hmm. virtual tours of places uh, over the pandemic. So we know, you know, let's check out the uh, pyramids today. And then you just go and find a virtual tour of somebody doing it. Um, but actually, the, the aspect of worshipping is pretty interesting to think about, Billy, because does it like does it make a difference for worshipers you know is it the same for you uh if you think about mecca and um you know it's a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity slash for most people uh, most muslims they, they want to at least once in their lifetime visit mecca can you count that religiously towards your visit for mecca if you do it virtually or is it still kind of quote just a tourist way of checking it out, and it's not actually uh, going to count towards your religious practice. I'm very curious about that. Yeah, in my in my opinion, it's it certainly should. I mean, because it's it seems to me to be very real. So I think you could. I don't think you. I think I don't think you can view this as a tourist. Well, maybe you do, but maybe you want to go to Mecca more than once, and yeah. and 
and and that would be yeah i don't i don't think <clears throat> i don't think it's necessarily a tourist i think it's uh, it's it's it is you know you're religious it's it's you know and you're saying that there is like people who are yeah. uh, the um you know priests and imams and and whoever uh, are leading these ceremonial rituals yeah. and practices they are present so it is like more intense than actually just a you know a tour of this temple yeah. or something of the space yeah. right for yeah, sure yeah 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 well and i think it straddles allows you to straddle finding out what the experience is like without you feeling if i go to the experience what if i'm uncomfortable what if people are uncomfortable with me being there you're the fly on the wall but you can actually settle back pay attention listen in as if you are right there without feeling and and i'm sure some people at times when you when you speak of um religious experience like this uh, like they're an intruder mm-hmm. right right whereas this time you're you're seeing it and interpreting the way that may help you mm-hmm. make some decisions in your own life your own experiences and is this for me in a different way than feel the pressure of i'm going with some friends or i'm doing this or i'm a, a tourist going in and going to stand at the back yep. of the uh, you know of the cathedral and actually too kelly on that note if you're a person with a disability some of these um architectural like these spaces are not accessible oh, right? they yes, for oh, mobility yeah. yeah they aren't and i have some friends who weren't able to visit hudge or or do things like that because and they've had to stay back even though they go all the way to uh the place they can't actually go and visit the space no. so they've had to make you know spiritual virtually spiritual attempts to to be part of that experience anyway so this would bring you closer another step and i think that's why you get a, a certain sector of people that are outside uh, you know, which yes. it seems like what? Yeah. But the fact is we're talking the age of a lot of places and that inaccessibility, which, again, that doesn't mean there weren't people who couldn't navigate high uh, many stairs or whatever in the time of either. It, you know, you still had, but it it was it's just a different environment and a different totally. situation. So I think that this, as you said, Bill, whether it's economically, whether it might be due to a disability or whatever means comfort, a wonderful way mm-hmm. to experience and i'm sure some feel like well what that's like videotaping it and watching it well whatever you feel that way this is your the goal is to bring people closer to the experience especially when they're curious and when one is trying to find themselves or make that decision and and you know not everybody's going to be in that position that that virtually uses this Um, right your next thing sir next thing Stray cat video game brings some benefits to real cats so this is actually being it was started on Twitch, and the developers of this game have developed it so that they they want they want people like you and me and 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 everyone else who has a cat to realize how that 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 cats are not just uh, you know when they're little and then and then when you 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 know people take them back to the shelter people people will get pets. And they'll keep them and then realize, hey, we don't want them. They get too big. They get rambunctious. We don't know how to train them. So what this game does is when you can see cats climbing over on pipes and knocking things over and things. So people know when you get a cat what to expect. Because I say a lot of people don't know. A lot of people don't understand. 
it would be kind of nice to have it for dogs because a lot of people get these dogs and they grow up and then they're too big and then they return to the shelter. So this is one way of, um, well, the developers are hoping that, you know, people will get a better understanding of what a pet really is. Right. And it is a responsibility. Very interesting. I love the idea of the navigating through the um, the environment of, of what yeah. we would find a stray cat in. In our cases, uh, you know, certainly there are stray cats in the countryside, but through the different trials of, of a town, a city, um, and doing the things that, that they would end up doing. Um, and I think this also has that element of when you see that stray cat, do you, uh, you know, and go away from it, do you want to, you know, bring that cat in and help it or, or get it to a shelter or do something so that it, your footprint of helping cut down the strays that are out there happens. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a cool concept because the game itself is not, you know, morbid or, uh, no, it's not. Yeah. Ugly or, you know, showing the ugly side of, of the reality of, you know, stray cats and animals being abandoned and stuff like that. Um, but it's helping the cause when you interact with it. So it's a nice way to kind of bring people in, um, but still actually go, uh, the efforts are going towards a more serious situation. Fundraising. Nice. And the people who design the game, they're all cat owners uh, yes, for the most are. part. And yep. it seems that they um, really want people to have that feel, that care that 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 these strays deserve. Um, but it's so popular. That's really amazing. Yeah. Last one, sir. Last one. As discussed last night, South Korean um, garlic video ad um, is is causing problems. Is basically roasted over purported. Obscenity. So there's a company in South Korea um, in a town where they process garlic. And in when they're well promoting their, their garlic, what they've done is they've, they've, they've done it with a sexual overtone, which is really upsetting people. So in the video, you see a woman wearing a mask, tapping a man's thigh with a clove of this garlic saying thick and hard. You can imagine. So this was kept quiet and somebody got a hold of it. It was on a, a, a billboard in a, in a bus terminal. And of course the farmers were totally outraged because yes. why are you promoting our garlic? Exactly. Why are you associating it, it in yeah, this manner? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stinky and thick and hard. So um, anyway, they are trying to get the government to punish the people that, the, um, you know, that made this video. And they're trying to prevent, prevent sort of other, th you know, similar things from happening again. I mean, the interesting, here's an interesting thing about government. on this? <laughs> I know. Here's, a, here's an interesting. to go this route? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But you know what garlic does? It does promote stamina. So it's partly, I mean, allegedly it does. So it does have oh, so sort of so they're playing of off of that as well. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, they are. Okay. Yeah, they are. Yeah. It, Nobody likes it. Take it off. No. <laughs> yeah, take it off. I, I can't even imagine the poor on. farmers and what your association yeah. Why is. must we react to this? Good grief, folks. Billy, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, pal. All right. Talk tomorrow. 
He joins us uh, Wednesday through Friday at the top of our second hour to talk about interesting topics from around the world. Isn't garlic supposed to wart? Unwanted's off? Oh, my know. gosh. Good heavens. Anyway, folks, we'll step aside for a moment. I'm sure Jeff Ryman will have a lineup of things, too, to talk about, maybe in a similar vein as we get into what in the world next. I do want to clarify, when Bill said, made mention of last night, uh, that was a discussion at a gathering um, at a local eating and drinking establishment that uh, some of the staff went to. So I think that was when Bill got his official warm-up started. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, he had a pretty good crowd when he mentioned that he might, he'll bring up this article. So Wow, I can imagine. And, and, and it was still... It was still hitting us when he told us right now. So, anyways, I, w- wow. I wonder how many people enjoyed the garlic that they had on their food and everything last night after hearing Billy <laughs> discuss that darn thing. Folks, from your TV, enjoy Kelly and Company. Uh, you can find us Novus customers, you guys, over on channel 889 and Rogers Atlantic. Look for us on channel 196. Visit mi.ca/slash audio for a list of channel locations. In your area, Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of the program. Welcome back. All right. Well, every other Thursday or so, we get to flip through some quirky stories from around the globe. We call it What in the World with Jeff Ryman. The defendant's guilty verdict in a firearms case can't be automatically reversed just because the judge dozed off. The cries were that of a 40-year-old parrot named Rambo. Let me out. Some of it weird, some of it just crazy. This is What in the World on Kelly and Company. Mind-boggling. So, Jeffy, I know I've done this to you a couple times where, you know, we really put the pressure on What in the World because we love the segment, right? So you come on and we're like, no pressure, but, you know, how good are the articles today? But really, you're following up, Billy, on a very strange end (laughs) to the podcast. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I'll be able to uh, replicate the last no, segment don't. or even or even <laughs> get to that same level. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, it, don't it's a tough that. act we... to follow. <laughs> yeah, okay. It, That's true. Is. <laughs> but but I do think that <laughs> I do think the articles that I that I brought um well first I think they might generate some good discussion and okay. I feel like it also might sort of make you scratch your head just a, a little bit. Well, um this That's article, how come it becomes mind-boggling as we do this. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And this article comes from the UK and apparently um it has lit up the internet. People are divided pretty much right down the middle. And I'm going to ask you guys. Sounds like something from Donald Trump. (laughs) It could be. It it is not, though. Um, Remya, do you have a dishwasher? No. Are you going to buy me one? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes. Maybe more than one. Kelly, you have a dishwasher? Yeah. Yeah, I do, too. It's honestly a lifesaver. I can't (laughs) can't live without a dishwasher. (laughs) Uh, It's one of those things that I just, you know, I've, I've. gone without a dishwasher before but it's definitely something that i love to have 
Um, so yeah, so plenty of us do have a dishwasher, but some people actually have two of them. What? Um, Are you serious? I, I know. And, you know, that is kind of where things go haywire. Like, oh, how could so. you do such a thing? <laughs> you know, like one washing machine is enough. So, like, why not have another one? For the laundry. Really make a whole lot of sense, right? Yeah, must be for the laundry. Um, but get this. Um, if you think of it, having two dishwashers can make sense, at least to some. Uh, loading and unloading the machine is an, an undeniably pesky chore. Uh, Seriously? I, I do not like unloading the dishwasher. I Peskier do than washing the dishes much. yourself? <laughs> I know. So, see, this is a discussion for us who have dishwashers then, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but I, um, I prefer to wash mine. <laughs> I, I really? prefer, oh yeah, I've always preferred to wash dishes. I wash by hand more than anything. Oh, yeah. wow. I'll take I've, your always, I've always done that. It's not that. being wow. put to good use. No, actually not. Clearly not. <laughs> wow. Um, but it is a pesky chore to put those clean dishes away. So um, if the latter isn't done on time, then dirty dishes could start piling up over your kitchen. And, you know, I think we've all kind of been there. And it in this stinks. situation, um, if you have um, two dishwashers, you will start putting, um, you know, some in the dirty dishwasher, and then you have the ones that are already clean in your clean washer. So it basically it's like serious, eliminates serious first world problems. <laughs> I you, cannot you even have... believe we're and having this discussion. You have to have many sets of dishes to do that. Yeah, it depends. Not, that's the it first de- thing you it think It depends about. on when you run the cycle. Yeah, this is the first thing I think of because okay, oh, hold up. you need that many dishes to go through. It seems ridiculous. First of all, okay. First of all, I've done this with laundry where I've gone and bought more clothes. Don't judge me because oh, I've been me, too we're lazy judging to, this one. <laughs> to do laundry, okay? But with oh, dishes, I just can't believe that this is happening, that people are buying a second dishwasher so they can have a dirty dishwasher and a clean dishwasher. And then yeah. uh, you're talking about buying more dishes so that you can actually use but, the second dishwasher. Good grief. But dishes and clothes. Like, like who wants rants dirty whatever around? When do you actually pull the plug know. and say enough is enough? We have to have routine so we don't need to buy a third dishwasher? Wow. Like for me. Oh, gosh. Don't I get some people can... going with that one. Third. Oh, that's an I'm idea. We've got the space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I guess Uh, for me, I guess I understand the concept, but there's definitely no way I'm I'm having two dishwashers. If I walk into somebody's kitchen and see them with two dishwashers, I'm going to immediately start judging real hard. And like, what's what's the point of even having um, cupboards? Like, what are you going to be putting in those cupboards? Like, normally people have the sections with, you know, their right. plates and then their cups and their mugs. Like, that's going to be yeah. empty. What are you going to be putting in there? Like, well, just what just leave them in the dishwasher. That's what I was just going to say. You'd have to do that because there's probably not enough space for all your stuff either in those cupboards. Oh, my God. Such when a compound problem. Yeah, Unless it really is. we can obviously think about, you know, reasons why other reasons why people would have two dishwashers. Maybe you do like ghost kitchen stuff. Like you do a lot of food handling and delivery and stuff from home, which requires you to wash big 
can you even do that? Then you'd have to just get industrialized dishwasher, right? Like, well, that's size. what you'd move on to. You'd be so happy when some place <laughs> had a sale and there were some industrial, wa- you know, dishwashers from you know, or a restaurant going out of business that had one. Right? They'd go crazy. Oh, All right. Like I, like I said, I understand. Like people don't want to put away their dishes once they're clean, but how long does it take you to do that? Like if I'm unloading yeah. my dishwasher. Like five minutes, like ten minutes, like ten minutes is the absolute top. Like that's a long time. It's not, yeah. It, if it, it does, takes you I ten know, minutes, it would not. Yeah, if it takes ten minutes, it, it's one of those chores that well, no one wants to the do. The machines but, are designed like, to only care. hold so much, and so that right. they can actually get sure. clean, so people can't just keep stuffing things in and then getting mad. How come this dish isn't clean? So I'm gonna say this is pretty collective in the fact that we're all in the the shove it department, we're, and we're right. not loving this i don't know who could really get behind this unless like you have an abundance of space because dishwashers like you need a pretty hefty sized kitchen like, i there's no chance like i'm ever putting another dishwasher look, look in my i kitchen. understand if you had this huge family or circumstance like a like say it was in a church and you were putting two dishwashers in a kitchen or whatever that that makes sense you know if you're actually mm, having or two meals kitchens and things. exactly like, yeah yeah, or, but, or two kitchens, exactly. That were full kitchens for whatever your place was. I, I understand it, but two sitting there side by side and, you know, Jeff yeah, coming yeah. home and oh, I'll just keep loading them up. I, I, I do think that in this article, uh, it did allude to that it was a couple. Like, it was just it was two, only people, two people. Only two people. Only two people living wow. together. At that and point, you that don't s- even need one dishwasher, man. I know. There are some <laughs> people who have dishwashers and don't even use them. I mean, Kelly, you, you Kelly. kind of like to go that way. Yeah. Uh, and that's perfectly fine. But well, two dishwashers. Really. It's probably hard on it. <laughs> it's probably if I ever <laughs> wanted to. What happened here? Well, it dried out. <laughs> the seals. It's probably not good on the seals. I just want to talk to somebody who thinks this is a good idea. So, like, if somebody's listening, yeah, like, too. maybe tweet us, send us uh, hate mail, whatever whatever oh, it may be. Like, they I will want to get omis- the, the omission side. of buy clothes instead of wash them. They'll come after you. Yes, I yeah. know. I've done it. But it's still, like, I don't agree with doing it. You know Why what I mean? Uh, yeah. I'm ashamed. <laughs> yeah. Forget about it. Anyways, I, gonna, I said two, wa- two washing machines, like, but you probably go to the laundry room in your building and use two. That's a good idea. The crazy part is we're not <laughs> yeah. even talking about washing your dishes. Like, we don't need to encourage people to wash your dishes. We're actually telling people, unload your dishwashers. That's the yeah. reason why people are getting two dishwashers, because well, they don't want to unload the first I, I one. I hope My God. they at least wash them and let them sit in there as opposed to let them sit in there dirty Ew. while loading up the other one. Yeah. No, Like, you've already you. gone through... It's not even hard. Like doing dishes and laundry is is a chore, but like it's not like you're sitting there for hours on end. Like you can just load your dishwasher, load up your washing machine or whatever, turn it on, and you go back in like an hour or two and throw it in the dryer. No, laundry's way worse. Dishes away. Stop it. It's not no. that hard. It's not that I would think worse. laundry because at least just load up as you're doing things. You put one thing in two laundry machines. As you use it. I'm down. <laughs> if this was a conversation about washers and dryers. I I flip my side completely. Get but, but it depends on how long you go. Get two, it all. Two washers, two dryers. You'd have yeah, to for the load it. size. Yeah, I I, yep. I guess it depends on how long you go without washing your clothes and how much clothes you have. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Next. <laughs> Primarily <article>. the latter. <laughs> like if you have an abundance of clothes, I I guess it kind of makes sense. But like abundance if you do your laundry clothes. every couple of days, like you don't really need to be doing that much laundry. Oh, we got next article, guys. Mm-hmm. I know. 
Do you guys believe in, in the Loch Ness Monster? No. Gotta see it to believe Rum. it, Jeffy, and I don't see much. <laughs> okay, <laughs> if then. it be in front of us, we would be still <laughs> saying, no, nope, no, nope, don't see a thing. Can't exist. Yeah. I feel like I want to believe in this, uh, the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard about Ness. I'm sure you've heard about the videos and maybe even seen pictures of you know the, the Loch Ness Monster. Um, why, why couldn't you want to apparent- believe in the Tooth Fairy? Like, I mean, that gets you some money. <laughs> I believe in Santa Claus. It worked out for quite some time. Me too. Um but apparently, a recent sighting of the Loch Ness Monster turned out to be an escaped alpaca going for a swim. <laughs> so if you've seen, you know, those mock pictures, you know, that are apparently fake pictures of the Loch Ness Monster, it's sort of got like, you know, the arches, long neck, um, kind of looks like a snake, kind of. Um, but apparently an alpaca was going for a swim in the picture that somebody took it actually really does look like um, a very similar picture that has been taken of the Loch Ness Monster Get before. Uh, I know, I know. Obviously, you see legs uh, eventually in the picture, so you know that it can't really be an animal that lives underwater. Um, and then you can obviously make out that it's an alpaca. But I just thought this would be kind of funny. I mean, like, imagine going um, to um, the lake and seeing this monster creature you take you take a picture it looks real and then you see it just casually walk out and it's just an like, escaped alpaca which exactly. is which is which is coming from a farm nearby but yeah, jeff yeah. you know you have to give the assist for the confusion to wait for it the fog the fog there's always fog yeah. right out there that's yeah. what we always see with loch ness you know that there's always the fog so an alpaca yeah, could be it could be very confusing. But in the picture, yeah, can you I, tell that it wasn't the Loch Ness monster though, or not? If you zoom in and like if you because there were there are you can see the alpaca's legs just a little bit, uh, you know, once it's cert out of the water. Enough but for reasonable doubt. It 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 actually does like it, it really does look like the Loch Ness monster. Or at least you know the pictures. You know, I'm using air quotes. The pictures the that we've Monster's seen a lot of bigger. the Loch Ness. Yeah, probably. But from from afar, you, you can't really tell right, yeah. uh, the size of, of things when, you know. I bet you're, you the person knew it was distance. an alpaca, but they knew they could get this photo and make it, yeah. like, in the position of it right. being the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. Jeff would talk about it on yeah. what in the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe planned. you'd even say mind-boggling. No. It is kind of mind-boggling. You guys both said it. Still doesn't count. Okay, thanks, Jeffy. No worries, guys. See ya. What in the world? Um, practically every other Thursday here on Kelly and Company. I would just say whenever. On Kelly and whenever. Company, the way yeah. it's been lately. True. The Roundtable, though, that's on Thursdays, and it's up next with Alex Smythe joining us. Stand by. Isn't it convenient that we have a Roundtable? Well, it's actually helpful. Just say yeah, it. blind guy feels it now. Goes, <laughs> well, I don't know. Say, yeah, I guess it is oval. Kind of oval. Every Thursday we have a roundtable. I'm the host of it generally, but uh, whenever Rumya tries to host it, something usually goes kind of <clears> south. <throat> so we say, yeah, there's uh, something going on there. Open conversation on a variety of subjects, handpicked by yours truly today. 
And I'd like to welcome in our guest who was actually on the program the other day. Am I right? Yeah, you were here Monday. Oh, my goodness, Alex, you're spending a lot of time with us. Uh, Alex Smythe, our Toronto TV Bureau reporter, joining us. Sir, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. I know you're uh, you're going to get sick of me soon enough, aren't you? Never. Never. <laughs> we, we, we look you at say it as, that now. You oh, no. That now. Oh, no. It's always great because then it's like, oh, phew, okay, I've got my guest. Yes. <laughs> now I just have to fight for the for the topics. Uh, let's talk about Serena Williams right off the top. She's a tennis icon. Uh, the 23 Grand Slam champion has also won four Olympic gold medals and spent 319 weeks as the sport's number one player. Williams has announced she's moving on, writing in an essay for Vogue that she's evolving away from tennis. Now, this reporter takes a look back at her extraordinary run. This is what Serena said when she was just 11. I like to be a tennis player. If you were a tennis player, who would you want to be like? Well, I like other people to be like me. <laughs> Her first Grand Slam win, the U.S. Open at just 17, becoming the first African-American woman to win a championship in more than 40 years. Her last championship win, the 2017 Australian Open, which she won while two months pregnant with her daughter Olympia. Serena now saying growing her family is her new priority, writing, if I have to choose between building my tennis resume and building my family, I choose the latter. I absolutely love the the remark that she made at 11. I, I just love the idea that you would want people to want to emulate what you're doing, the hard work that you, you know you plan to put in and, and, and knowing that at 11 years old. Alex, I'm going to start with you as our guest on the program. And I kind of just, I always get this feel when we talk about ladies in sports and, and we're really, people say, well, you, you know, men, sports, ladies in sports, but this is a, an extraordinary athlete who has achieved so much in her sport um, and, and, and people try to make that, well, there's a distinction when we talk about greatest athletes. Yeah, no, uh, she's hands down the best tennis player ever. Full stop, period. I mean, there's there's no real debate. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. I, I think yeah, you can make an argument, oh, well, you know, the competition on the men's side, oh, you had uh, more dominant players here and there. But you know what? It That's really... Uh, uh, irrelevant I think I, I think you look at what uh, competition she played against you look at how dominant she was for um, the um, length of time that she she was at the top and you know you, you heard the the list of accolades she has it, it's she is synonymous with the sport unlike any other player in history I I, I put her ahead of Roger Federer I put her ahead of McEnroe of Djokovic and Nadal uh, because you there is no one else besides Serena that really you can look to as like, okay, they're in that conversation on their own. There were other great women in the past, but I think she is above all of them. And, and on the men's side, I would say the same thing. It's amazing Mm -hmm. because to me, you achieve what you achieve. People know you've, if you're going by wins, if you're going by successes, you've achieved those. Nobody can take those away from you. Now, if you can run around trying to pretend that, well, everyone you played against wasn't feeling too well, they had the flu. Oh, they're, they're, they're a female, so it's not the same as being a male. And it just drives me because you still put in the same time, the same work, the, you have the same gifted skills that some of these others, except generally, you're beyond. 
And it doesn't matter, male, female, uh, skin color, whatever it might be, if you, you have it, and it being the term, you have it. You're fortunate enough. And this lends itself to whether you're a scientist, whether you're a performer, Ramya. Um, I, but we don't do that necessarily when we talk about actors. Oh, you, you can be the greatest. No one makes the distinguish. Oh, well, for a female, she's the greatest female actress. Yep. No, they don't uh, do it. Same with singers. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the weight that women like Serena carry, right? Like not, you know, Alex, just hearing you um, put your opinion and thoughts on the table about who she is, what she carries, the weight that uh, is carried by women who are not just great, like not just uh, all-stars, not just professional elite athletes or uh, anything like that. But when you're the best of the best and when we hear what she said at, at 11 years old, imagine what all these little uh, girls are saying wanting to be anybody right like wanting to be anybody out there and as a, a wanting to represent um and she's putting all that on the table and saying but i need to focus on my family and that's what it honestly makes me very emotional like to hear her um reflect like to to imagine what she has to reflect on and what she has to to do in order to say but I'm putting my family first and she's having a girl. So she, she knows what that, that is going to be like to, to have her mom, um, be this person, but to say, yeah, and I needed to take this time off for my family. I think it's just, uh, wow. Like there's, there's just so much around that, that we only get to see just a, a, a tiny bit of, you know, the, what she shares with us, but there's so much that goes on, uh, in making that decision. I'm not going to pretend I've not heard an athlete, a um, male athlete, male singer, performer, actor, whatever, say I'm taking time for my family. But definitely, Rummy, it seems to be something that you are far more likely to hear from from a female artist. You have to. You have to. You, like, honestly, and, and I've heard it with Beyonce, who I follow um, a lot of, and it, where... When when it comes time, and you know what these these women and their families are making the sacrifices through and through anyway, right? You know that the the people who back you up, the people who help you uh, and take care of you, take care of themselves while you're out on the road. It's not easy, um, but at the end of the day, that ultimate moment when you say, "Okay, I need to," I know I need to take a step back from my career in order to put my family first is a huge moment and you know that like if you're the best of the best this is making a huge impact on not just you not just your family but on everybody who's watching you uh so and it's not retirement right it's like an active decision uh to say i'm picking something else for the time being alex i'm not sure if we're going to see her participate in some tournaments along the way. She said goodbye uh, to Toronto on the aspect of playing, but made the promise, of course, that she'll be back to Toronto. She's certainly on her own personal uh, life uh, journeys will, will be around. Do you, is there a sport when you hear or see someone retiring out of, is there anything different based on the sport or for you when you see someone leave, whether it's hockey, tennis, it's the same kind of thing where you feel that, wow, that, that, or do you? Does it affect you, or is it just that overwhelming good for them? Yeah, you know, I, I'm a huge sports fan, and, and especially when it comes to single uh, and individual sports, like, 
because you can always make the argument, and this often happens in in team sports. It's like, oh well, this is the greatest player. Oh yeah, well you, you know you can't you can't do basketball all by yourself. You can't do football right. or hockey. No one player can can be kind of the the true winner for the team. Even even the greatest ones like LeBron and and uh, Michael Jordan in, in basketball. You still need a team around you in order to to win and succeed. But where you when you see someone like Serena who literally has done it. On her own, now with the exception of playing doubles with her, her sister and things like that. Mm-hmm. Tennis is an individual sport. You have to go out there yourself. You, It's all on you, all the glory, all the pressure, all the the highs and lows. It's all on you when you perform. So I, I think there's that extra special uh, sense of like bravo, of achievement, of, of celebration, and, and kind of a bit of mourning for, for the game when, when yes. a great athlete decides okay you know what i i'm done whether it's for now or it's it's forever i'm i'm stepping away for the time being and so sports go on but especially when it's an individual sport like tennis and when you're so dominant you're the face of that sport it the sport itself takes a hit but new people will rise up they'll they'll become mm-hmm. um the new faces and and they'll be the ones who who start to take the attention afterwards always blows my mind because when you taught the individual sports you have your coaches you have your supports but you do all your road work everything to build up so alone it's not even like at a practice where okay let's do drills guys ladies let's do the work you have to push yourself and your coach can only do so much pushing and and telling you but when it's individual and you're running when you're playing the sport you are on your own in your own head so um really amazing uh best to Serena Williams a BC indigenous leader and wild salmon a- advocate says pink salmon are returning this summer to areas near uh, where several former fish farms were located. First Nations Wild Salmon Alliance spokesman Bob Chamberlain says thousands of pink salmon are returning to an area along BC's central coast after years of minimal returns. When you get a fish run down to just a couple hundred fish, you're so close to extinction you don't want to breathe. And then now as a result of removing those farms, that we now have a few thousand coming back. And I'm not sure the total number yet, but I've seen video footage and and I've heard from a lot of people saying, sure, it's nice to see the fish jumping again. So Chamberlain also said that two open net salmon farms were shut down in the Bon Sound uh, area two years ago. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I hear this and you think, all the stuff as we talk about the environment, Ramya, and so many little things that we've been really pushed that we can do to to, to kind of, we, we heard about the monarch butterflies, for example, but to kind of concern ourselves about extinction and the little things that, and this is to me an example, you close these down, you move these guys, and look what you have coming back because the natural tendency for these pink salmon is to be in this area where before, you know, our tendency was, oh, we need those pink salmon, catch them. And now that that little thing, and I'm not saying for the businesses, it's it's a little thing that they're told, move along. Um, but these are a lot of, this is an example of a lot of things we need to see. Yep, exactly. And it gives you this perspective of like, wow, how disconnected are we, right? Like every time we have a conversation with a professional or someone who's really tapped into something that can bring us back information and say, hey, and this is how this relates back to the environment. This is how this relates back to you. And um, you you gave the examples of the monarch butterflies, you know, as we had this conversation with Susan Kearney, and she tells us, 
why it's a concern that monarch butterflies are uh, part of the endangered species list now and and what that means for pollinators and then what that means for home gardening and what that means for the food industry. You know what I mean? Like this, this bigger picture scenario, uh, you need to have the individual information, like the understanding of that one thing first to say, okay, and this is how this leads to all this stuff. You know, I only think of salmon when I see it in the stores. But that's not the case. <laughs> like, there's so much going on. Um, and, and all these little things, like you say, Kels, makes a difference. Alex, I know you've spent some time out, out west and that kind of thing and, and probably have some people who have filled your ear with some of these concerns and what goes on, what doesn't, especially when we talk about the Indigenous lands. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, also to Ramya's point, I mean, uh, especially when it comes to environmental issues and things like that and the impact, it's it's important to get the, the micro and the macro information and, and mm-hmm. trying to get that understanding. And that also knowing that nothing happens in a silo. You, you can't impact one element of uh, environmental um, uh, impacts and then expect nothing else to to um, be affected by it. Right. And, and the inverse is, is true as well. It's like, well, you know, by closing down uh, the fisheries, by... Seeing populations return, seeing um, what were uh, once strong uh, fish populations within the region return. Well, that's going to have a positive effect and impact on the natural environment. Well, the certain predators may return because there may be more access to the fish there. The the abundance is there. The the wildlife will will grow. So these are all kind of um, little ripple effects that continue to have uh, impacts as, as you kind of look further and further out from from the these uh, one specific examples and events. Always amazes me our balance that we don't even know 50% of with almost anything we do in our world, mm-hmm. how one thing's going to affect the other. A new survey conducted um, for the Association of Canadian Studies finds that more Canadians report a strong attachment to their primary language, to then to other markers of identity. Now, the president of the association studies, uh, Jack Jebwax, says the role of language in people's sense of identity is often downplayed. Language, of course, serves that dual purpose very often of being a utilitarian or neutral means for communication, which is what English and French in Canada reportedly do, as well as being expressions of culture. Right? So it's got that dual function to it. A larger portion of respondents uh, reported a stronger sense of uh, an attachment to their primary language than to the country of Canada itself, with this finding being especially pronounced among Francophones and Indigenous people. But Ramya, I want to ask you, with your family um, and English not the first language, do you feel, uh, speaking for members of your family, have you seen this attachment, that comfort with it? Because I'd imagine, and yeah. I know from my father, me being from Montreal, my dad speaking French, always, no matter how long we were here in Ontario, French was really, I think, what he classified himself first. Mm-hmm. And even though he knew English, had to speak it all the time, it was what he, he loved and identified with. It's it's home, right? Like I I tell people this. I'm I'm 29, and I still like in a quick situation. I feel like I think in Tamil before speaking in English. Like I'm always translating sort of in my head. Right. Uh, Tamil is my first language, and and though English is now the predominant language that I speak every day with everybody except my parents, um, it's it's still Tamil to me. Like that's the comfort, and you know, it's not just comfort, Kels. That you know that was mentioned in the clip, but also. Um, this urgency 
to feel like you need to keep growing the language into different generations because now so many people uh, lose um parts of their identities as they move to new places, move to and identify differently. You don't know if the, the language will even be carried out as much, right? Yeah, for sure. It's a huge concern, yeah. And Alex, I'm sure you've seen a variety of that with, with the different places you've lived. We don't really have time to get into it today. We'll have you back on the roundtable soon again, if you, uh, you, you don't mind. And we appreciate always the time you give us. Yeah, no, thank you, guys. Yeah, and it's always uh, great to have these types of conversations with you. You betcha. We'll do it again. Alex Smythe, of course, our, our TV reporter out of the Toronto Bureau. Uh, always wonderful to have him on the program with us. This has been the Kelly & Company Weekly Thursday Roundtable. We'll be back in a moment to take a look at what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. We'll preview the Friday edition of Kelly & Company as well. Find the ribbons on our uh, Thursday edition of the program. A lot of great stuff, folks. Uh, if you want to check out the podcast, subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Uh, just look for Kelly and Company. Appreciate a rating and review if you don't mind. You can also listen to the show in segment form, or you can listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience where there's an audio vanity card today provided by Jeff Ryman for you. Take a listen to the whole show. Take a listen to the vanity card. Or if you have that favorite segment, just listen to the show in segment form. Maybe you'll even share it with somebody. That's the Kelly and Company podcast experience available to you using your favorite podcatcher. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. So, Rum, a lot of great topics today. Lots of good discussion. Where do you want to begin? I know there's so many good ones to choose from. Uh, talking Commonwealth Games and the inclusion of that event with Fern Lullum was very nice, um, insightful, and you know just the importance and the significance, but also the arguments around whether uh, para sport should be kept separate at these big world events like the Olympics or be merged as one. Um, and one thing I didn't get to say was uh, I'm curious about if everything was to be merged, like instead of Paralympics and Olympics, you get to put it all in one event. Um, she talked about the some of the events being left out potentially, right, because of time and um, filling in that time. But also, how do you categorize everything? We know in para, there are multiple categories for different uh, disabilities and different um, spectrums of disabilities. Like even in blindness, there's one, two, and three. So I, w- I wanted to get into that, but we didn't have time. So that was an interesting conversation for you to take part in as well. To me, you would just do it, right? It's just the same as everyone. There's always categories to a point. Yeah, yeah. It's that matter of why do we ever accept, well, we don't have enough to do this. And you want to say, well, hold on, why not? Why don't we make, instead of the games being this many days, 10 days, we'll make them 15. Exactly. (laughs) You know, like you're going to still have another games event when it comes to the uh, Olympics and Paralympics. uh, And with Commonwealth, same thing. I do want to give a shout out. Speaking of sports, though, to our judo talk with uh, Mathieu Rochette uh, during his community report uh, this this week on the program or this month's report. Uh, Really interesting topic when we got discussing families, our own stability when it comes to our balance and some of the things that he mentioned, you may want to take a listen, especially when you think of it only as, oh, it's a, r- a rough sport or it's it's a fighting sport or maybe some of those impressions you've had. Um, listen to some of that. And especially if you're someone with a child with a disability or you're even for, for yourself, we'd like to welcome Paul Daniel now onto the program. Paul is one of the producers over there at Now with Dave Brown. He's here to tell us what's coming up on the Friday edition. Hi, sir. 
Hey, Kelly. On tomorrow's show, the Friday news panel uh, with uh, Julia Gupta and journalist Michelle McQuid will join Dave Brown to discuss uh, some of the more notable stories of the week, including a House of Commons committee uh, that has been examining the use of spyware by law enforcement agencies in Canada. A former senior intelligence officer with CSIS admitted that spyware has been used to monitor politicians. And some privacy experts are saying Paul, police and government use of spyware needs to be tightly controlled and should be outlawed for the general Canadian public. So panel debate, whether there should be greater transparency about the use of surveillance technology, and a broader question about whether privacy is already a lost cause or is there still an avenue to make it a human right. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely will preview the movie The Whale, starring Brendan Frazen. It's a movie that's going to be making its premiere next month at the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. And August 20th is National Radio Day, and Karen McKay, to mark the day, will, from the Center for Equitable Library Access, will give us her featured titles that involve the impact of radio. Nice. Very nice. And it's pretty important to all of us. Mm. Paul, we'll talk to you next week, pal. Take care, Kelly. Now at Day Brown on AMI at 9 a.m. in the morning, also available by podcast. Please subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Ramya, you're away until next week. We'll talk to you then. Have a great weekend. Sounds good. Have a good show. Producer Jeff Ryman will be back to the show tomorrow, folks. He'll bring us uh, the lifestyle headlines. There's a pair of experimental earbuds that can detect ear infections and other medical conditions with a chirp. We learn more with John Beeler on our app update tomorrow. Also, the Holland Bureau of View Kids Rehabilitation Hospital uh, now has a tool to make it easier for communities to design an inclusive playground. Karen McGee will be here with those details. Bill Shackleton returns for the Friday Buzz. Do you pay attention to audiobook cover art? Good question. While well, Ryan Huey highlights a Twitter conversation tomorrow regarding the concept. We'll get into that on the chatty bookshelf. And let's get the conversation recaps and comment on segments from the past week. <laughs> As if we didn't just do that, huh? On Cut for Time tomorrow to finish up our show. Friday edition of the Kelly and Company program headed your way. Please visit us tomorrow starting at 2 p.m. Eastern. Take care of yourself, folks. I'm waving at you. Hey guys, Jeff here, and I'm pretty much fresh off of vacation, obviously got back on Monday, and I know for a fact that a lot of people do not like coming back on that Monday after a week-long vacation, and now when I mean vacation, I wasn't out of the country or anything, but I was at a cottage. Uh, the cottage is in Buckhorn, Ontario, which is about half an hour, 45 minutes north of Peterborough, Ontario, if you're familiar with that area. It was beautiful. The weather was incredible. Didn't really get any rain. It was hot. It was sunny. Uh, I was with uh, friends. I was with my brother, so I had some family there. Um, relaxing. We ate a bunch. We probably drank way too much. And we didn't really do a whole lot. Just a bunch of lounging around. And for that reason... You know, as much as I like doing that, it is kind of nice to get back into a healthier routine, I guess some would call it. Uh, so getting back into the swing of things, back at work, maintaining a regular diet, which is something a lot of people don't do when they're on vacation. Um, you know, for, for those reasons only, I think uh, it is kind of nice and a little bit refreshing to get back into the swing of things.